Hey everybody, this is Chris Kokinos, music director for WXVU V89 won the Roar and the host of Route 30 Rock. Joining me today is Kaylee Brendel, sophomore at Villanova, singer-songwriter, and disability rights activist. Kaylee, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, all of us here at the station are really excited to have you on today. But first, I really want to just get into the music. Here at WX4U, we are all about music. So take me back to the beginning. How did you get your start in the music business? So I've been singing ever since I could talk. There's literally, I think, video footage of me singing Sesame Street songs to passersby when I was four years old. <laughs> My dad would just lift me up and I'd just go for it. And I've just been singing ever since. I did choir every chance I got. And I've been been—I've had the honor of performing at the White House uh, three times and being a featured soloist on two of those occasions with the Princeton Westminster Children's Choir. And then when I was 10, I started entering singing competitions because I realized that as much as I loved the choir arena, I I wanted to branch out a little bit and see what I could accomplish as a solo artist. And when I was 13 and 14, I started songwriting and I realized how amazing of like a, a therapy mechanism expressing your emotions and your troubles through that medium can be. And so I have like 70 songs to date now. Not all of them are, are good by any stretch, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're real and they're authentic and they're vulnerable. And so I've just continued to write. And I have an amazing vocal coach who actually stepped in for uh, Mama Cass back in the 90s in the Mamas and the Papas. And I was in a situation where I was being kind of represented, but it wasn't going anywhere. And she said, you know, my husband produces and I think you would like the situation because you would be in the driver's seat as much as he would be. And it would be about your work and it wouldn't be about waiting for somebody who has like a ton of clients or, you know, not a lot of time. Like you would be able to jump right in and, and go for it. And I was ready. I was so ready to produce an album. And he was an amazing, amazing producer to work with. It really was both of us in the driver's seat, both of us at the console talking about which takes worked, what instruments, what rhythm sections we should do, if we should change a lyric of the song, how it should work. And so last October, I published an EP called Karma containing six original songs. And last May, I released a seventh uh, onto YouTube. And I'm extremely grateful for what that's done for me and, you know, just kind of putting me on the local map as a songwriter. I, I love songwriting and I'm continuing to write and I hope that my songs can give a voice to the struggles that other people go through, whether that's heartbreak, whether that's familial loss, whether that's, you know, that kind of fairy tale love that you kind of sometimes want to express. There are a lot of unique emotions that I try to encapsulate and that I think a lot of artists are going for these days. And I'm very, very happy that I had the honor of sharing mine with the world. You know, that's really awesome. And I love how you bring up authenticity because that's what people are really looking for these days. They're looking for authentic messages and authentic music. And speaking of, you know, music again, what genre do you really see yourself fitting into? And why do you think you were drawn into singing and writing music for that area? Okay, so I actually never confine myself to a genre. Oh, okay. I, so I I love the vulnerability and the specificity that's in country music. And I remember reading Olivia Rodrigo's synopsis when Sour came out. And she's like, I love how country music is so honest and the details are so specific. And I'm like, you're so right. You're so right. And I love the way she songwrites and she really paints a picture. And I've always been drawn to creative writing. And so I was like, what if I combine that love? And so I've just tried to make my songs really specific so you can like picture yourself 
in that exact situation. And so I love that part of country. I've written some country songs before. And then I love, I think, the musicality of pop and what you can work with and the, just the variety of it. And, you know, I've been inspired by the Adele's, the Kelly Clarkson's, the Sabrina Carpenter's of our era and how they do it. And I, I want to be just like them. That's awesome. And really, how what, what would be your breakout song, do you think, or breakout album? Like, what really puts you on the map for producers? Or what do you think really stands out to you among all of the songs that you've written? Uh, okay, so that's that's hard for me to answer because yeah. I regard each of my songs like, like a little part of me. And uh-huh. I love them for different reasons. But I think the... The difference, I guess, like one of the songs is called Blindsided. Okay. And it is, it's about disloyalty and manipulation and lies from a partner. And I think that's something that a lot of people have experienced, unfortunately. And I just really gave voice to it. And a lot of songs, you know, talk about cheating and like, you know, wanting to break their car or Mm -hmm. like whatever, like (laughs) just smash something. And, but I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about wanting to try to fix it, but being so hurt. And being so torn and not being able to look at the person again. And what did I do? And why wasn't I good enough? And there's all these feelings. And, you know, a lot of people and other producers that I've talked to, that's been the one that they've grabbed. Like, I had the honor of having uh, Smokey Robinson's musical director on the orchestrals uh, for Blindsided. And he was like, this is the one that got me. This is the one that really drew me in. I was like, whoa. First of all, that, that guy's talking to me right now. <laughs> and secondly, like he likes blindsided. Oh my God. But yeah, it just it's a different. It's a different kind of vulnerability. It's a different kind of personal um, feeling. But that one tied with another one called uh, Badge of Honor that I wrote. And I feel like unless you're in the country genre, people don't really talk about losing family members in mm-hmm. songs. It's just like, I love you or I hate you. <laughs> yeah, like there's no in between. It's not like I lost you and I miss you, but you're up there watching me. Like that's not a very common theme in pop. I've seen it in country. There's a song called like give heaven some hell, mm-hmm. um, but not in pop. And so I think the fact that I did that, but it really could be a pop song or a country song. And that idea that any of my songs could really go in a couple of genres um, I think is is maybe what's different. Yeah. So then what is next for you in your authentic kind of music? Are you working on anything new, anything exciting that we should all be just waiting for to come out? So I guess this is my official announcement <laughs> that album number two is in the works and it's currently being planned. It's kind of a matter of a process of elimination with which songs to include because I have about 30 that I'm rifling between. Uh-huh. And so trying to get that to 10 to 12 is is kind of tricky. But I also try to leave like a slot or two on the final list because I write songs very frequently about struggles I'm, I'm going through or happy times that I'm experiencing. And so, you know, I always try to leave a vacant spot in case inspiration strikes and I'm like, oh, this one might be good. Uh, so leaving that spot open, but... We're looking at, I would say, spring or summer of 2023 uh, for that because this isn't just going to be a full, you know, an EP. It's going to be an LP. Like, it's going to be a full go. Awesome. 10 or 12 songs. Yeah, that that sounds really exciting. I don't want to ask you too much more. I don't want you to reveal too much (laughs) if, you know, the details aren't there. But I'd love to move into our next topic. And to say that you're just a musician would be just a drastic understatement of everything you've done in your life thus far. In addition to being an accomplished musician, you are also a disability rights activist. 
How did you get started working in that field and what do you hope to accomplish in the future with that? I think I got started by watching my mother advocate for my brother and I because he's completely blind and I have some sight. And they told, you know, the administrators told my parents, you know, he's never going to walk. He's never not walk. He's never going to, you know, be in a mainstream classroom setting. He's never going to do all these things like all the things he would never do. And my mom's like, no, I, I don't think so. I disagree. And she made it her life's mission to create a path for him and by you know then me when I came along and as I grew older she just kept saying you need to advocate for yourself you need to advocate for yourself I was like oh mom no <laughs> I was like what does that even mean first of all like 12 year old me I was like hmm, advocating uh but then in high school she kind of loosened the reins little by little and I started sending the emails when things became a problem instead mm -hmm. of her and just see seeing her and I started leading the meetings and I started making the phone calls and I just kind of fell into the role pretty naturally. And there's a lot of academic struggles that disabled people endure. I had a lot of negative experiences, so much so that I was very skeptical when I got to Villanova. And for the first time, I haven't had to fight tooth and nail for every little thing. Mm -hmm. And that's an experience I'm not used to and one that I'm very grateful for. Like I had a teacher when it, we were doing stoichiometry in chemistry that she would literally write out all the equations on the board and just told my mom to her face, like, she's really going to struggle with this. And my mom was like, well, no kidding, because you're not saying any of it. Mm -hmm. Like, of course she's going to struggle. Yeah. But, like, that, you know, you need to accommodate. And, and she just refused. And I had this para, bless her, that was trying to read everything off the board. And it just, it wasn't working. And so my mom stayed up with me and helped me learn it. And I ended up get, like, getting 100 on the test. And it was like, ha-ha. Uh, but, you know... Things like that where it's like they don't even try. Yeah. That's so common. And it, it breaks my heart that that's so common. And I was like, I remember this moment when I had an epiphany. I was actually in mock trial, uh, my first year as captain. I was head counsel in the courtroom and I was delivering my closing. And I was just like, huh, this is an interesting avenue. Yeah. What if I combine my two loves, one of speaking and my passion for disability rights and what if what if I do something here and that that kind of that struggle of like disability advocacy that came forward again in junior year and I mean we, we might get to that later but you know that really solidified my desire to to combine both passions. Yeah, absolutely. And you just hinted at it right there. One of your accomplishments <laughs> in this realm of activism even includes taking on the college board and winning. I, I'd love for you to tell me about that. Yeah. So, you know, definitely given that closing, as I just talked about, laid the groundwork. But still, I was just like, I want to be an attorney or maybe a teacher or maybe this or maybe that. Maybe I want to work with blind children. But I was never sure. And so then came COVID and College Board decided that blind and deafblind students were not going to receive Braille on their AP exams, which is legally a big no-no. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, they took away Braille and I had AP bio that year and I was like, oh, that's a problem. How am I going to like look at all those graphs? And their solution was something called alt text. And that's kind of where if your software intersects an image, it will play a very verbose description of it. But the issue with that is imagine a coordinate plane, like one of those like X, Y things. Yep. And you have to listen to all the points being listed out to you, like a data set. And you have to like, okay, you know, like what's the slope of the line or something. And you have to listen to all those points over and over and over until you internalize and like memorize that data. And I was like, that's so not an accurate substitute for like actually 
feeling a graph mm-hmm. and deriving that data. And they took away our combination of breaks as needed. That was just gone, which we need because, you know, we, we get finger fatigue or eye strain depending on how much vision we have. And they just completely ignore the deafblind because I was like, how do you expect deafblind people to listen to a description of a graph? Like that is the no. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, they can get a braille display. And for those of you who don't know, one of the issues in the blind community is accessible technology is insanely expensive. It is, they think they can like monopolize the market. You could, um, a device I have that produces braille, six grand. Six grand. It's so expensive. And to say that every family can just afford that and just boom, go get it. That's not, that's not right to do. That's not right to ask because of your incompetence and you're not being willing to accommodate. And so I filed two class complaints with the United States Departments of Education and Justice. And I was joined by the National Federation of the Blind, an organization of 50,000 or more blind members across the U.S. And four other students that were also facing this issue and the media ran with this. Mm -hmm. I posted a video on Twitter explaining the issue and it has 90,000 views to date and 350,000 total interactions. Almost a million people in total saw it across platforms. We were on TV. It was crazy. And the media pressure come up with the legal pressure after three weeks of constant back and forth. No, 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 we won't do it. It was all of a sudden this change of like, Oh, yeah, okay, so this is how we're going to give you the realm. We're like, say what? Um, and they, they just did it. And I think it just they realized that, like, we weren't going anywhere. At one point, they decided they were they, they were going to offer to just give the Braille to me and the other people that complained in the exchange that we shut up. Wow. And I was like, do you honestly think that we're just going to take it and run and not tell any of these other blind and deafblind students that need it just as badly as we do? That's ridiculous. And... I was so appalled that they would even have the nerve to suggest that. And they just had, like, their excuses for why they weren't accommodating kept changing. They were like, oh, we were stressed out or, oh, we didn't have too much time. But they had, like, weeks. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't buy that. And yeah. the, even when it came time to, you know, help write the contract, I, I was very grateful that I got to help write the contract or the, the settlement agreement. They just dug their heels in. And it was, oh, my God, it was so infuriating. But I ended up getting the AP Scholar with Honor Award that year. Because I fought for it and because I got that braille. That's awesome. That That is a great win. We really do love to hear that. And um, connecting this with your music, in what ways, if at all, do you find your music and your work in the disability rights field intersecting? I think the perfect junction of those two passions is the Sing for Serenity Choir. Um, it's an international online choir for blind and visually impaired musicians that I created when I was 14 as part of a National Junior Honor Society project. And I just decided to continue it after the year it ended. It's been going strong for, God, five years now. And we have over 100 members from a dozen countries across, I think, five or six continents. And we post music to YouTube. And we're really a community and a family. And an important part of disability rights work is the social piece. Because not a lot of people understand what disabled people go through socially. Mm -hmm. It's a very unique experience to have people. You get one of a couple things. You get either people are scared of you and they don't want to talk to you because you're like too different and it makes them uncomfortable. So they decide to like isolate themselves from you. Mm -hmm. You get the charity case. It's like, oh, my God. Like I've literally had people say like to my friends or me, like I would kill myself if I had to live like you. Wow. And, like, to have someone say that and, like, you know, you're such an inspiration or whatever and, like, 
you know, last year I actually did uh, my diversity skit on an experience I had where I was hanging out with a boy and a girl literally came up to him in front of me and was like, you're such a good man for doing what you're doing. I've seen it all day. It's so effing sad. We need more men like you right in front of me. Wow. And I was like, hello, like I'm here. And so, you know, in Serenity, we've all experienced things like that. And so it's kind of like a coping safe haven for us to just talk about it in an atmosphere we're not judged and assumptions are not made about our capability or that we're stupid or that we're, you know, not desirable in the romantic sense or the platonic sense. I mean, cause we get that too. Like why would anyone ever date us? Mm-hmm. And Serenity's actually been, you know, the breeding ground for a lot of really amazing and adorable relationships. And it's just, it's really great to see what it's turned into. And so I'm, I'm looking to write a song specifically for the choir or for the choir to back me up on a song on my new album, if possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just the perfect middle ground between my love of disability rights and my love of music. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to round out the end of this interview, I want to know what is next for you after Villanova? So that is something I've been wrestling with for years because I have two conflicting dreams. One is to be the first visually impaired woman to ever win a Grammy for a pop song. And so that'd take me in a very different direction. Mm -hmm. And my other dream is to be the first visually impaired justice on the United States Supreme Court. So very, very different. And so I'll either end up at law school and maybe getting my dissertation in something to do with disability rights or I'll dive headfirst into the music scene. I'm, I'm really not sure which. I just think whichever direction the universe takes me, I'll just go for it. Awesome. Yeah, anything that you do, we are proud to have you a Villanova. Call you a Villanova. Thank you so much for joining me here on WXVU today. We really appreciate it. And make sure you tune in to WXVU 89.1 FM, The Roar, if you want to hear all of Kaylee's music right here. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you.